This story is brought to your ears by all our fantastic supporters on Patreon. To get in on the action yourself with bloopers, extras, and the occasional early story, join us at patreon.com slash voiceofallmtg. We'd like to thank our newest patrons, Bradley Rose and Watermelonhead, for already donating. For more stories or just a chat, visit voiceofallmtg.com. And now, Voice of All presents Unbowed, Episode 3. Of the many lies she'd recited to the Baron of Verneau, the process behind adding another life to the Arkabo was not one of them. The relic did indeed make snapshots of the dying, although whatever sorcery worked into the bones of the Arkbo did not simply stop there, transforming every rag-and-bone memory of a creature on its last legs to the animal in its prime. There was a time when Vivian, of course, wasn't the only one who could perform the ritual. Her fellow shamans had also possessed that knowledge. But now, Vivian was the last of Scala, and the Baron wasn't about to trust in her claims. To no one's particular surprise, the Baron conscripted a small fleet of secretaries to tail Vivian, scrolls on the crook of their arms, a quill in their dominant hands. Little altar boys stalked them in turns, holding ink pots. For posterity. He swirled brandy in a goblet of faintly translucent amber, his expression stormy with distrust. What surprised Vivian was the equipment they wheeled into the ballroom. Halos of wiring, together with metallic poles, filigreed artifacts embossed with spellwork that she did not recognize. Her puzzlement did not last. Quickly enough, the Baron's minions assembled the contraption around the dying monstrosaur. More of the nuns were called to the room, and humming a couplet of chords, they conjured a shimmering barrier. Inside. Vivian complied. There wouldn't be opportunity to revisit the process, not with what Vivian intended, not with the truth she kept tucked behind her teeth like the last rites of a world long dead. She had one opportunity to do this right. Lightly, the planeswalker ran her fingers along the surface of the magical barrier. Though mostly translucent, it felt like a wall of steel. Vivian crouched down beside the monster sword the reptile so weak now that it barely stirred at her touch, only exhaled a lethargic death rattle, its breath stinking of bile and rust and carrion and very, very faintly, a tincture of lilacs and saffron. It blinked wetly at Vivian, tear ducts leaking a chalky emulsion. Anesthetics. The nuns exchanged looks with each other, as did the scribes. Or alcohol. Whatever your generosity would permit here. I know it isn't part of your personal credo, but the arc bow is excruciatingly precise. If it takes this thing at the height of its pain, the summon will share a similar condition. As you can imagine, it's difficult to fight when you're half mad with pain. The Baron downed his brandy, poured himself a fresh serving before he waved an irritated hand at the nuns. <sighs> Do as she asks. The nuns complied. As their magic wormed through the monstrosaur, it sighed and slumped, seeming to shrink onto itself, receding into the new numbness. Its eyes fluttered close and 
Slowly, the break between each breath began to lengthen. There, Vivian murmured a prayer to the cinders of Scala. Her voice so quiet, she was certain not even the undead of Luno could discern her praises. Petting the Montresor one last time on its broad nose, Vivian rose, her weight slouched against the arc bow, its tip wedged into a crack in the floor tiling. No one was trying to feign apathy any longer. The entirety of the room leaned into the act of watching. Every noble, every courtier, even the scullery maids bent double under the burden of their station. They watched, eager as hounds. Vivian made a loop of her index finger and thumb, stroking the arcbow like a lover. She had precisely one trick left, one last thing to try. Vivian curtsied at her audience, gleaning laughter. It was time. The planeswalker tapped the arcbow three times against the floor, and on the third impact, the sound echoed. Energy roiled and rolled across the ballroom, jouncing through the walls, hissing through the ligature of the chandeliers, a transparent sheen of light reflected across every watching face. And then, as with any explosion, the power came howling back to the point of parturition. The floor beneath Vivian's feet irradiated in such a manner that it almost looked as though reality had flaked away, leaving only white only a brilliance so intense there was no space for the concept of shadow. Vivian struck the floor with the arcbow again. The artifact opened. It spread into metallic bark and branch, flowering at intervals, geometric configurations of shining, mysterious alloy. The arcbow split down to its pith, revealing a jag of light so bright that it made Vivian's eyes water. But she watched it all without blinking. The Monstrosaur was owed that dignity, at least. She could feel the dregs of the Monstrosaur's spirit, a tumble of misfiring nerves and a rage it was too exhausted to satisfy. Carefully, Vivian threaded the Arcbow's power through its ruined skeleton, coaxing that final spark of consciousness to her, promises humming through the connection. The Monstrosaur did not resist. It came to her in a torrent, riding the link into the arcbow with a shriek of joy. Vivian shuddered as she broke through the moment, disoriented by the smallness of her own physique, the Monstrosaur's presence dwindling to a nub in the back of her thoughts. Its body remained at rest at last, now encased in the same strange alloy that coated the arcbow. That was all very good and dramatic. An excellent show, really. Are you done, then? Vivian blinked, astonished. Light seeped from her fingertips and down from her tongue. It tasted to her of chalk and calcium, fury like nothing she'd experienced, fury like she could eat the world whole. This was new. Yes. Good. Now let us see the results. Yes. Vivian felt slow, the word like treasel between her teeth. She twanged the arcbow, felt it hum beneath the caress of her thumb. 
The monster soar so close beneath the surface that it was all she could do to keep it quiescent. Its eagerness bled through the contact, spilled into her bones. What was going on? The essences in the Arkbow were normally so much more quiet, half asleep, happy to be safe, still silent in the dark of the artifact. But not the Monstrosaur. The Planeswalker bit down on the impulse to lunge at the Baron, schooled herself for steadiness, lifted the Arkbow, only to have the Baron clear his throat. <clears throat> no, we'll have someone else do the honors. He signaled to a guard, who might have been a bull transformed into a more convenient form, the man so thick-necked there was no separation between his throat and his jaw. He scowled at Vivian as he lumbered toward her, the force field arising to permit his entrance. The Baron gestured at the nuns, and their voices rang out again, sealing the guard inside the containment area with Vivian. Now show him how to do it. Vivian passed the arcbow to the frowning guard. Thick-set as the man was, he soon divulged a dexterity that Vivian had not anticipated, his fingers quick despite their sausage-like width. The arcbow sang out as he raised the relic, the guard sighting expertly down his arm, Vivian's arrow knocked and ready. A minute spasm of those meaty digits, and his body burst outward. The planeswalker looked back at the Baron, face placid. I told you. I won't accept this. We succeeded in calling up the bear. There must be a process, something you're not telling me. Are you doing this deliberately? You must be. The Arkbow is mine. It won't obey another hand. Liar. Vivian held out the artifact in challenge. You're welcome to try. The Baron curled his hand into a fist and Vivian decided, with a morbid pleasure, that the look on his face would be enough. That no matter what followed, no matter what would come to pass, that memory of the Baron's clear frustration would be a light she'd hold on to. She smiled. I warned you. Quiet! Vivian flicked her eyes down to the remnants of the guard's carcass. The Arkbow had left him a mess, Almost by accident, Vivian caught sight of movement. She bent down. A spider. Vivian watched in silence as the arachnid picked its careful way from the guard's pocket and inched toward the edge of the barrier. It was small enough for the magic to ignore its existence. Small enough for the vampires to dismiss its presence. Vivian had an idea. The problem... The problem with people like you is how often you ignore the little things. How you assume the clockworks of the world operate without effort, powered only by your will. You assume that the cogs do not exist. You can't even see them. What prattle is this? The Baron stormed back toward the wall of light separating them. Tell me, have you ever wondered what it might be like to be as small and insignificant as a spider? She gave the Baron no opportunity to answer, her power throbbing through the world, curly cues of green spreading from her in a halo. The Baron snapped his head up, eyes going wide. What have you done? Engorged on Vivian's magic, the spider became the size of a small dog, the size of a jaguar, of a bear. Grow. Grow. 
She scrawled a sigil in the air with her fingers, the movements quick and filthy. Alarmed by its growth, the arachnid turned and launched itself at the king. The nuns and the nobles let out screams at the sight, all attention suddenly turned toward their ruler. In the chaos, the former loosened their hold on Vivian's prison. It was as she hoped. Without missing a beat, she knocked a new arrow and freed the projectile as the walls came down. The arrow burned through the air, evaporating into embers, into bone and vivid feathers etched in magic, into a body no longer hobbled by injury. A body perfect and pristine, exquisitely prepared to enact that one final, desperate desire. The arrow buried itself in the wall, and the ethereal monstrosaur tore itself loose, roaring. Vivian's own powers lancing forward to wrap around the reptile's newborn frame. It swung its head, blinking, and not even the shock of being alive again was enough to distract the monstrosaur from its intent. The creature had died starved for retribution. It would not go quietly without fulfilling that want. Vivian dove sideways as the dinosaur thundered toward the Baron of Renault, screaming courtiers scattering in its wake. A helpless few trampled beneath its clawed feet, their bodies pressed so flat they could be folded in half. The rare guards loyal enough to stand in its way were bludgeoned aside, flung into the walls with a swing of the creature's head. The monstrosaur's shimmering form strained against the firmament, splitting the ceiling as though it was the skin of a fruit. Rubble and ash ribboned from above. The building groaned. Strutwork, now untethered, gave way in increments, gravity tugging the masonry apart. Not that any of it served to dissuade the monstrosaur, its eyes wild. Despite the odds, the Baron of Renault would not flee. Though abandoned by his cohorts, the ballroom already collapsing into ruin, he stood his ground, teeth bared and sword drawn, his frame doll-like in this juxtapositioning against the monstrosaur's enormity. He blurred into shadow, zigzagging upward, the comet's tail of his sped-up motions revealing an upward trajectory through the falling rubble. Vivian caught a flash of silver as the Baron swung. But no matter one's abilities, no matter the power differentials offered by training, nature possessed empirical favorites. At the end of the day, life has always been a contest of raw might. The Baron's sword passed harmlessly through the hollow beneath the lizard's right eye, eroding to an alloyed lump. Before he could reverse the thrust, the monstrosaur tossed its head up, flinging the Baron into the air. Vivian saw surprise dart across the vampire's face, obvious even from the distance. And quicker than the Baron, quicker than anyone might have anticipated, the monstrosaur snapped its maw forward, a rattlesnake motion, teeth closing over the vampire's torso. Vivian staggered to a pause, staring. The monstrosaur turned a doleful gaze to her, Expression so ludicrously meditative, so human in its uncertainty, that she nearly laughed at the sight. The Baron stared at his captor, an animal terror rising in his face. And then, 
with considerable aplomb and no small amount of ceremony. The monstrosaur bit down, and the two halves of what was once the Baron of Verneau fell quietly, messily, to the ground. Most of Vivian's summons were transient in nature, rarely persisting for longer than a minute, the creatures content to dissipate after a perfunctory dalliance with chaos. But the monstrosaur would not dissipate. Having dealt with the Baron of Verneau, the reptile was now rudderless, but it didn't remain that way for long. It sniffed the air once, before it neatly picked a route through the doors into the palace, oblivious to the courtiers still pinwheeling from its path. Vivian followed behind, ignored in its wake. Their trajectory marched them past the royal menagerie, which teemed now with agitated fauna, its captives either galvanized by the monstrosaur's proximity or simply excited by the stink of destruction in the air. It did not take Vivian long to come to a decision. As the monstrosaur took another corner, Vivian ran her magic through a family of wildebeests, stoking their cells until the creatures grew large enough to smash through their confinement. She did the same again for everything she passed. Hammer skulls and coattles and broad-bodied bears, power leaping beneath them like so much lightning. Some of the animals fell together in frenzied knots, carnivore and prey tearing chunks free of the other, but most did not. Like the rampaging monstrosaur, they seemed absorbed by the thought of vengeance. Their handlers, previously secure in their knowledge that they were inoculated against the consequences of their own cruelty, quickly found themselves engaged in life-and-death battles. Screaming swelled through the air. And still, the monstrosaur held on to its shape, somehow powered by something. Its rage, perhaps? Or Vivian's? The planeswalker decided it didn't matter. Instead, she counted the minutes between corporealization and disintegration. Each time the monstrosaur shimmered out of existence, she shot a fresh arrow through the air. The corridors widened into a gallery. Here, the monstrosaur halted, head cocked to one side. Men in tiered wigs and women painted with pearlescent powders, their bodices high and unnatural, gawked at the sight. A rail-thin girl, scarcely an adult by any estimate of the word, tottered uncertainly forward. A leash trailed from her hand. Vivian followed the rope to where it attached itself to the collar of a small raptor. Someone had rouged its emerald scales, outfitted its neck with a ruff so clownishly large that it was amply clear the decoration impeded its ability to see. Vivian frowned at the creature and looked miserable. At that moment, the monstrosaur began to fade, dwindling into glowing pinpoints, an outline of a creature that soon degraded into an indistinct haze. Vivian couched into a fist, the congregation still silent, still dumbstruck by what had transpired. Behind her, there was a roar of the royal menagerie still in mutiny, the low clamor of its inhabitants periodically interrupted by terrified screams. I suppose this is where one customarily makes a dramatic speech. 
The raptor hopped forward, head tilted first in one direction and then the next, brisk and bird-like in motion. It trilled an inquiring note at Vivian. Or at least inform you of what's going on. The sounds were getting louder. I'm really not sure what the protocol is on this. Unbidden, a smile anchored itself. But I keep feeling like some measure of informational exposition is necessary. She dropped her hand. What is the meaning of this? A patriarchal-looking man with a trim beard, his physique still formidable despite evidence of middle age. He rested long fingers on the scabbard of his saber, glaring. Who are you? And what is going on in the palace? Someone once described the death of a nation to me as mercy. I didn't really understand his point then, or where he was coming from. But now, now I find myself in perfect comprehension. Vivian drew lazy figure eights with her fingers, magic beginning to collect in her palm, spokes of glittering power. Anyway, this is a mercy. This is the last that you will see of Leno. By this time tomorrow, the wilds will have this place again and you will be nothing but a memory to be forgotten. Vivian closed her fist and the raptor freed a confused hiss, its body suddenly racked with convulsions. Unlike the denizens of the royal menagerie, it did not grow in a uniformed fashion. Instead, the creature swelled up in fits, its growth metered by the movements of Vivian's hand and the motions of her power, uncoiling green and serpentine from her frame. Legs first, tail, then its head before at last its torso followed suit. Throughout the process, its owner could only stare slack-jawed in wordless perplexity. Within seconds, the raptor outsized its mistress, stooping to regard her with one luminous amethyst eye. In answer, she fish-mouthed in silence, a tremble of high-pitched sounds eventually escaping. Her former pet did not share her befuddlement. It reared up, chirping several crystalline tones, its curiosity about its owner clearly slaked. And then, without any reservation, it twitched forward and shut its jaws around the vampire's skull, teeth crunching through the vertebrae. The decapitation of the young vampire dislodged something in the crowd. Pandemonium broke through the bourgeoisie in waves, spreading, growing, until it was nothing but hysterics, all pretenses of enlightened behavior forgotten in the face of carnage. Those with at least passable command of their faculties closed on Vivian, hissing, but the planeswalker only scrutinized them with vague indifference. Something was approaching. A second before the stampede erupted through the doors, Vivian took a sideways step. Her adversaries on their part only had moments to look up, moments to take note of the beasts thundering through the corridors. As the escapees of the royal menagerie rendered their former tormentors to an even pulp, Vivian found herself smiling. The royal palace shook itself apart like a carcass worried to shreds by dogs. In starts and stops, without cogent sequence, the architecture fighting the whole while to remain vertical. 
Gravity, however, possessed an insatiable appetite. Soon enough, the royal palace fell, dust pluming into the air. But Vivian Reed wasn't even halfway done with Luno. There was more chaos to be wrought. The cafe was, in more ways than one, indistinguishable from the others festooning the cultural district of Luno. Here, museums and body matinees shared the same streets. Art took many forms, some less savory than others, but Luno was rarely inclined toward being judgmental. The eateries enjoyed brisk business as the result of this generous ideology. There were always customers. Sometimes they were scholars and cognoscenti, hungry for a space to discuss and dissect the day. Sometimes they were more tawdry individuals, lust-drunk and simply desperate to sit. Regardless of their nature, they were inevitably weighed with money and, to the delight of this particular cafe's proprietor, often exceedingly generous with tips in the form of vials of blood. The man in question studied his reflection in the mirror. He was tall, lanky, with shoulders too narrow to provide any heft to his frame, but not unattractive. At least, that is what he'd inferred from interactions with his female clientele. The proprietor corrected the angle of his wig. It wouldn't do to look disarrayed. The evening was sultry, unruffled by anything that even resembled a breeze, and the air sat over Luno like a wet towel warmed on a corpse. Not that many seemed to mind. The city's elite, particularly those numbered among the Legion of Dusk, appeared to have a preference towards such climates, basking in the heat while the humans wilted. He picked a slow path toward where his most recent customers resided. Both were decorated officers, slim, impressively groomed despite the fact they spent most of their time embarking on expeditions toward foreign territory. The proprietor liked them for that reason. Most explorers eventually lost the trick of hygiene, along with any interest in reconciliation with the idea. Your breakfast? They acknowledged him with a glance and tepid smiles. The proprietor set down an arrangement of victuals. Luno rumbled beneath his feet. An earthquake? It was possible, though only infrequently beset by such tremors, it wasn't an unknown phenomenon, and as such, the proprietor only saw mild reason to be concerned. He would need to secure his spice rack, ensure the cafe's modest cache of wine bottles remained safely ensconced in their area. Small details. Simple chores. It would be fine. Stop sulking. The proprietor slowed his steps to eavesdrop. Gossip was always good with such army men. Like you're any more cheerful about this. You know the Baron of Vernal is studying the device right now. Ugh. I hope he fails then. If he succeeds at deciphering that stupid artifact, we'd be out of a job. Be careful with that tongue of yours. That's treason you're spitting. Not treason. Truth. If Leno learns to make use of something like that, we'd be left to beg in the alleys. Mark my words, the royals don't care about people like us, badgers or not. If they can make their own animals, 
why'd they bother paying us to find him more? Before his friend could reply, the rumbling beneath their feet, which had been constant but inoffensive, abruptly became something impossible to ignore, and even more impossibly, something that recalled the proprietor's youth. Once a year, as though to make up for its mundanity, the tiny settlement that he came from indulged in an unexpected tradition. It set juvenile raptors loose among the streets. How such a bizarre custom came to be, and why anyone thought it would be necessary to ask adolescents to collect feathers from rampaging lizards, was something the proprietor never understood. But like every immigrant from the town, like every man or woman born to those hills, he carried with him memories of how the world shuddered and shook each year under the feet of that annual stampede. This was worse. Much worse. The cafe that sat opposite of his own in their cul-de-sac gave way like a broken leg. Even as animal bodies flooded the streets, tumbling over themselves in a downpour of fur and claws and howling throats. Under other circumstances, the proprietor might have delighted in the sight, but there wasn't time. There weren't even words to describe what he was seeing. Lemurs swung between the balustrades, hunted by hawks. Bovines of varying sizes, cats saber-toothed and more mundane. The sound of shattering porcelain tugged at the proprietor's attention. He looked, and he laughed, <laughs> half hysterical, half in wonder of the situation. There were bulls in the local china shop, chasing its pomaded clientele out onto the streets. And everywhere in between, humans in the grimiest clothes, barmaids and butchers and bare-chested soldiers whooping in glee as they ran in between the chaos, barely conscious of the danger. Unlike the owners of the stores, they treated this like a festival, a celebration as primal as anything the proprietor could recall. In between all of that, there were the dinosaurs. Yes, the raptors from the proprietor's youth, only full-grown and radiantly feathered. Packs of slow-moving aegisaurs, lowing like bulls. Spinebacks and sword-tooths, working to keep ahead of the monstrosaurs. The tyrants. The dusk-dark death-gorge scavengers. These took no interest in the roads. They carved new ones for themselves, crashing through the city, knocking the buildings to the ground. The herbivores took their desecration of Luno a step further. They paused to gnaw the city's vertical gardens, nibbling its flowers down to the roots. As the cultural district of Luno evacuated from their respective homes and businesses, the deluge of wildlife quickly demolishing everything in their path, the proprietor let out a laugh, one delirious with confusion. He realized then what it was. These creatures weren't just unexpectedly everywhere. They were each three times their usual sizes, too massive to be plausible. How was this happening? Nothing of this seemed real. A noise caught his attention. He turned to see a pair of monstrosaurs staggering through the teeming bodies. A new breeding duo brought to Luno to replace the last. But that wasn't what caught his attention. No. It was the woman seated atop the female's skull, 
expression set with a look of grim satisfaction. If Luno chose to rebuild, Vivian decided coldly, it would be decades before they succeeded. She crawled to a crouch, balancing atop the monstrosaur's head, and leapt as they passed a balcony. Vivian somersaulted nonchalantly to a pause, rising to her feet in a smooth motion. She dusted her smock. There'd be a need to find actual leathers, something that wouldn't catch in bramble and tear at the slightest provocation. Luno's tastes, even at its humblest, were entirely too impractical. A brontodon lumbered past Vivian's perch. Was it the one from her naval voyage? It was hard to tell. The passage across the ocean felt like a lifetime ago. Certainly, she bore hopes that it was the same brontodon. While hardly the danger the carnivores of the royal menagerie might present, it'd still be an entity to fear especially if its species was inclined toward grudges, toward long memories. Perhaps it'd find a mate in the wilderness of Lunel. Whatever the case, it would be a long time before the vampires of the city would trouble the rest of the world. There were dinosaurs in their jungles now, more than they could ever hope to handle. Vivian draped herself over the rails, looking over the anarchy she'd unleashed on Lunel. The royal menagerie, or what remained of it, had begun to discover the vertical gardens of the city. She smiled, more pleased with the situation than perhaps warranted. But the sojourn through Ixalan had been an enlightening experience. Almost unbidden, her hands strayed toward the arcbow. Vivian hadn't considered how genuinely simple it was to remove the relic from her person, or the looming risk of it being taken and used by outside parties. Something needed to be done about this. Vivian wouldn't tolerate an encore. But, perhaps, the answer laid with the inhabitants of the Arkbow. The Monstrosaur had proven itself exceptionally useful, even more so than any of Vivian's other acquisitions. And how could it not? It was larger, more ferocious than everything else in her arsenal. If Vivian continued to find herself bigger prey to hunt, she might have an answer. She closed her eyes. The membrane that split the planes was thin here, hardly more substantial than a curl of skin. Through the film, Vivian could almost see the next world. Dragon. The word bounced through her brain, settling into the image of colossal beings, ancient and frighteningly strange, beings with lungs full of fire and mocking laughter. Nicobolus wasn't the only dragon in the multiverse. There were others. Smaller, less sly, but dragons nonetheless. If she learned to harness their power, if she could learn how they function, she might be able to learn the secret to Nicobolus's destruction. But first, she needed a target. Distantly, Vivian recalled conversations about Shivan dragons, the name only ever whispered in low voices. For fear, the Gitu elders had said that they might stray into their settlements, drawn by the sound of their names. But... If a shivan dragon found itself lured to her, might that not be for the best? 
In the distance, Luno rallied against the insurrection. Nothing slipped through the dusk. No sound except for the distant clamor of angry minute arms and elephantine animals bellowing in challenge. Vivian rucked her brow before she chuckled good-naturedly. <laughs> the planeswalker rolled her shoulders and breathed in. She raised a hand, palming the air, feeling the structure of the universe beneath her skin. And then she pressed down, and the multiverse, viscous as honey, relented under the pressure, swallowing her from arm up. Vivian spared Ixalan one final look before she flashed into the next plane and felt the hard, hot air of Shiv on her skin. Thank you for listening to this production of Voice of All. As listener-supported entertainment, we rely on you not just for the voices of the characters, but also to keep us going and growing. If you enjoyed what you heard, please support us by rating and reviewing us on iTunes, or following us on SoundCloud, Stitcher, and Google Play, or just plain sharing with your friends. You can also support us financially on Patreon for exclusive perks. Unbowed was written by Cassandra Kaw. The podcast was produced and edited by Gin Dokeshi, with sound editing by Grace Noir. This week's story featured the voice talents of Stephanie Malia Morris, Stephen Province, Ryan Yoshitani, Brooke Stutler, Knockshade, Rhythm Bastard, and Keo. Voice of All is unofficial fan content, permitted under the Wizards of the Coast fan content policy. Magic the Gathering is copyright, Wizards of the Coast. Thanks so much for listening, and y'all have a great day! <laughs>